0: these kingdom of heaven sayings that jesus has um, they're broken up and so last week we saw the parable of the wheat and the weeds and that comes right in the middle of these five or six kingdom of heaven statements that jesus has and there's one more that he um, finishes with after this idea of in that place there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth he looks at them and he says, have you understood all of these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So, as we talk about the kingdom of heaven and we do my rather unorthodox style of preaching here. Um, we have first the mustard seed and the leaven. And what are, um, what is the significance of those? What are, what, what do both of those things do? I heard it. Somebody. Grow, grow. right. Um, and they grow pretty much continually, Right. Um, The mustard seed goes to where it's bigger than anything else in the garden. So big that it actually provides a home and shelter for birds of the air and other animals. But it starts off as the smallest seed. And what about leaven? What is that? Makes bread rise, right. And specifically, what is leaven? A yeast, right. And so we have these two tangible, visible, material, natural examples that Jesus is using in in talking to these people about what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And they're both very impressive examples. Um, Impressive examples because they are tiny and then massive, um, and they are ever advancing, if you will, um, always moving forward is, is what um, he's getting after here. And so um, the, the mustard seed is pretty self-explanatory, I mean it's a little seed that gets big, the the leaven we don't in in our world in our culture today we don't oft, we don't often really know what that might look like or or understand the impressive power of the yeast I'll say it that way um, but when I was at seminary we had apple trees at the top of the hill and they um, one year it was my jun- my second or third year I can't remember which one but it w- we had a a, a real, real good crop of apples. And I went and picked a bunch of apples and ran them through the juicer and put them into this big five gallon jug that I had from long ago when I used to make beer. And um, I was gonna make some apple cider. And so I, I left it um, and let it sit and it bubbled and fermented and did, did what it was supposed to do with the natural yeast that are on the skin of the apples. You don't have to do anything. It, wine is the same way, you don't have to do anything. You just crush it up and let it sit there and, it's, it's a natural process of fermentation. Well, you put this little thing on the top, it's a, an airlock and it bubbles as the carbon dioxide comes off and the sugars are consumed and the yeast do their thing. This little airlock bubble, 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 bubble. And um, it did for maybe a month. And it slowed down and slowed down. And I thought, okay, so I put it in the basement to let it just kinda of finish and um, let all the yeast because the yeast will eventually come through and die and settle to the bottom and then you can transfer it out and have a nice clear apple cider. Well, that happened. And so I transferred it out and put it into bottles and um, left it there. And then that spring, I thought, ooh, I I found them actually. I'd forgotten they were down there. And I found them and I said, we should try one of these. So I stuck one in the refrigerator and it was a a flip top. Do you know what I'm talking about? It has the latch that like locks it down. I had like five of those and I had the rest were just regular crown beer bottles. And um, I put it in the refrigerator. We went, Julie and I went and did something. It came back. Were you there? I don't remember. Uh, She was in the house but I can't remember if she's standing there. But I went to go open this thing. I hit the flip top and normally you kind of pry it open and it kind of pops open and makes a nice, you know, like you're opening a carbonated beverage kind of sound. This thing went boom! and then evacuated the entire contents of this bottle on the ceiling of our kitchen in the student housing of seminary. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, So we cleaned up. I mean, we found it till we moved out, we were finding spots that we missed of sticky apple cider, but that's not the point. The point was I looked at this bottle and this was a heavy duty bottle. And then I looked at these little thin bottles that just had this little crown top on them. I said, those are dangerous. And so I very carefully carried this box over to the dumpster um, across the parking lot of student housing. And and just out of curiosity, I thought I was like, I'll just throw them in there, and I thought maybe not. So I, I lifted the lid of the dumpster and just slid one bottle into the trash can. And as it hit the bottom, it didn't, I don't even know if it hit the bottom, it hit something in there and it went boom! And there was a rain of glass and cider inside of this thing. And so I did every bottle one at a time because I was scared to just dump the whole thing in there because I couldn't get out of the way in time. That's the power of yeast. That's the power that the people in Jesus' time would have understood of the power of yeast. There is no escaping. Once that process has started, it goes all the way through to completion. That's the point. That's the kingdom of heaven is that once that yeast fermentation, leavening, whatever that action is, depending on what, what medium it's in, once that's started, it goes until it is completed. It does not stop. And there's really nothing that will stop it. And so that was the strength and the power of the kingdom of heaven that he's talking about. So he, he goes on, and he changes um, his examples here, and he talks about um, the pearl of great price, and the treasure in the field, and the nets, and the fishermen, and the sorting out of the good fish and the bad fish that comes. What, What do you think all those have in common? Take a shot, just spit it out of there. There's both good and bad. That is certainly one of the points. Yes. Yeah, they, get the hmm? they, get the they get rid of the bad, right? That that is also part of the point. Um, but the what what do these people do with the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price? Search for it. Search for it, Search for it first, then what? They find it and they sell everything. So there is great, fill in the blank, worth, great value in finding this treasure. And I think it's really interesting that the guy that finds the treasure in the field buries it back, and in his joy, goes and sells everything he has to go buy that field. It's just just an interesting turn of phrase for me, that in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has to buy that field because that's where the treasure is. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like this man searching for this pearl and finding it. He sells everything to have this one thing. The kingdom of heaven is um, valuable. It is a treasure and it is worth something. It's worth everything if we're reading this correctly. But it's also a place where both exist, the good and the bad. And, and there will be a time of, of sorting, a time of revelation of what that is. But as a, the reason I read that final piece of the last two verses was um, everybody who studies the word of God who, who, is, who does it effectively. And is trained for the kingdom. Because we we can all, by definition of scribe there, we can all be somebody who studies the scriptures. And so if we study the scriptures to be trained for the kingdom, then we are like the master of the house who brings treasures of both old and new out. Because some old stuff is pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, we have a... um, Uh, uh, it's an inexpensive um, sort of second label side by side 16 gauge shotgun that was my grandfather's when he was a boy and uh, it's just cool to think that my father's father walked around and you know hunted with this gun Um, but uh, some people think old cars are cool you know some people think new cars are cool I don't really care about cars, but I can see the appeal in both. But when we bring the old and the new, whatever we have that is a treasure, that is of value, when we bring that out, it gives glory to God. Okay, so I want to take those ideas and I want to shift a little bit because we have been talking about um, this Collect for Purity and we talked about how um, the heart and the mind and the will are all interconnected. And how we've talked about how this process of how we're made in the image and likeness of God, but, but through the fall and through sin, we've fallen from his likeness. So we still bear the image of God, but we've, we, we are in the process of having that likeness restored and that that process of having that likeness restored is the process of sanctification. And um, what I want to connect here with that idea that we just, to connect the dots for the three weeks in a row, is that um, the kingdom of heaven is already and not yet. The kingdom of heaven has started. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. And God in his infinite wisdom has decided to use us actually he's decided to depend on us to advance his kingdom that's a pretty scary thought <laughs> um, and it's his decision I don't I wouldn't have chosen me I promise I would not have chosen me but for whatever reason he did and he chose you because you're sitting right here and he needs us to be his people and to show forth his glory to worthily magnify his holy name as that colic for purity finishes right and so what does that really look like for us what does that mean well if we're talking about the kingdom thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven if we're talking about the kingdom that is to be revealed then we're talking about that final moment but if we're talking about the kingdom that is here and now we're talking about this process of transformation everybody with me yes no yes good so we're talking about this process of transformation this process that we would call sanctification and um i struggle with this for a while because i i was one of those shall we sin so that grace will abound by no means kind of people and i didn't really understand like so if we're saved we can do whatever we want right no, that's not how that works. Don't hear it. don't stop the tape there. Don't let, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But what we do in this life matters. And what we do in this life matters for us and for all eternity and for everybody around us. And so, very quickly, I want to juxtapose two points and and tell you a brief example and then I'll close. But Salvation is when you believe. And we would call that justification in front of God. And so anybody that confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believes that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But sanctification is that ongoing work of transformation. And sanctification is what we do. It's that heart desires, will chooses mind justifies and so when we choose to do the right thing it pleases god when we choose to do the wrong thing it grieves god but when we are judged we're still seen through the lens or covered by the blood of jesus we're still forgiven that that i'm certain of but when we look at scripture we see a couple of places where we're going to be judged this kingdom of heaven fish being sorted into vessels is one of them the weeds and the wheat is another one Paul talks about it at least twice I mean more than twice but two verses I'm going to put in front of you is 1 Corinthians or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5:10 where he's going he's talking about how we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another to another and then he has this little line that's just this really hard line to swallow for he says for we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged based on what we have done in the body for good or for evil. Well so I'm going to be judged based on what I've done? Yeah. But am I saved based on what I've done? Through faith in Jesus alone. But what we do matters. And what does that look like? Why does that matter? Well, we find that in the first letter to the Corinthians, where Paul talks about his 1 Corinthians 3, 11 and following. I'm paraphrasing, but... Um, I'm pretty close. And he says, the foundation is Jesus. Nobody can build upon the foundation other than that which was laid in. Jesus is that foundation. And he says, you can build of whatever material you choose. Wheat, hay, straw, precious stones, gold, silver. It doesn't matter. But the work that you do will be tested. And that testing will be done on that capital D day of judgment. And you're the... The work will be tested and disclosed, and whatever is not built on that foundation of Jesus will be burned up. And that man will suffer loss, but he will be saved, he says. That man will suffer loss, but he will be saved as though through fire. But the man whose work remains, he will receive the reward. And I struggle with what is this reward? The reward is not a heavenly reward it's a heavenly reward in the kingdom right here right now it's the beginning of being able to participate in eternity right now you see when jesus appeared to the disciples in his resurrected body his resurrected body was a glorified resurrected body but it still bore the marks of the crucifixion he still had the holes in his hands he still had the hole in his side Because those were his marks of glory for all eternity. You see, what we do in this body does matter. It does have consequences for all eternity. But that doesn't... Our salvation doesn't depend on that. Our salvation depends on belief and faith in Jesus. But our putting on of the likeness of God, our participation in coordination and cooperation with the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, that is sanctification. That is growth in holiness. That is becoming more like Him. And that we can start right now. That's really good news. We can start that today. You can go home and start right now. Becoming more like Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait. So, example. And then I'll quit. I promise. I can get excited about this stuff. Um, So, my grandmother... And Bishop Fitzallison are first cousins, and my grandmother had an older brother, and um, her older brother was—I um, think we're we're good enough as far as ages here—was the, the Bohemian homosexual godfather of Folly Beach, right? He he was the be-all and end-all of that community at Folly Beach, but. I only knew him as little Uncle Billy, because my mom's brother is big Uncle Billy. He played football for Clemson. But little Uncle Billy and Fitz, when I was little, like six, seven, eight, that age, they looked almost identical. They were were first cousins and, and almost identical in features. And so much to the point that when Fitz came to do a confirmation and I was probably 10 or 11, and I was serving at the altar at St. Michael's and he came to do the confirmation service, I thought it was Uncle Billy. Like, I just, I didn't, I couldn't really tell the difference. But 30 years later, um, as Uncle Billy was approaching death, um, I I went to go visit him and what I saw was a, a man who had spent his whole life just pursuing whatever he wanted. Now, he was a generous man. He was a kind man. He was a good man. But he lived his life for himself in the way that he wanted to live it. And as his physical body diminished, there was really not much left of him, but this sort of dying body. And as it struck me, as I was going through some of this later, um, really wrestling with this idea of what is this earthly reward and what does that look like and what does it mean to begin to put on the glory of God now? Well, Uncle Billy was 92 or three when he died and he was a good you know five to seven years older than Fitz and Fitz is probably 92 or 93 now. And um, as Fitz, over the past five, six years, as his physical body has begun to really diminish because he's 93 years old, what has begun to shine through that, that failing physical form is the glory of God. And so you have, in my mind, I have these two images of, of these two men that by all accounts from my memory and childhood, I couldn't tell apart. And now, at the end of their I mean don't hear this this way but Fitz is old right and I'm not saying he's at the end of his life but he'd say that (laughs) and um, as I look at him and I think about what was left of mobility and there was nothing there and I think about Fitz and the glory that is just very thinly covered by this flesh and I think man that's that's somebody that's given their life to the kingdom. That's somebody that has lived for the glory of God. And he would argue with me, and I would, I'm too smart to argue with him because he always wins. But um, when we begin to move and make decisions that bring glory to God, we begin to put on this body of eternity. We begin to participate and be changed into the likeness that we will have for all eternity and we don't have to wait until death i'm done that's the point i wanted to say the good news is you can start now and the kingdom of heaven is always advancing let's pray lord help us help us to choose you above all else and help us to um, Hear your voice and walk faithfully in the direction that you are calling us to walk. Lord, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to, um, to love you and to serve you and to love others as you would have us to do. And show us what that looks like. Make us into, your, uh, into more and more of your likeness, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.